Amen. Thanks, Billy. Thanks, worship team. Good to see you this morning. Well, thanks, man. Thank you. It is great to be seen. If you're a visitor here with us today, uh, we really are glad that you're here. And if I haven't had a chance to introduce myself, my name is Jason. I have the honor and privilege of pastoring uh, here at Solid Rock Church and leading along with the body of elders. And uh, Billy is one of our elders. We enjoy being led in prayer by him. And, uh, and, and so we're, this morning, we're going to continue in our series. If you're visiting with us, you're stepping in uh, to the middle of a sermon series entitled Unity of Faith. And so we're starting this year out by walking through the foundational truths of the Christian faith, the non-negotiables, the things that, that declare um, our faith. And so um, we've made it so far through uh, three sermons. This is the fourth. We're going to be looking at the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk today about the distinct work of the Holy Spirit, the work that God does through, the, through the, his person of the Holy Spirit that's distinct from the work of the Father and the work of the Son. And uh, we're going to start this morning in John chapter 16. If you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, we'll come back to that in just a few minutes. So I'll give you a minute to turn there in your Bible. If you don't have one and you'd like to read along, we have uh, black hardback Bibles um, underneath the seats around you. Feel free to grab one. Those are there for you. And uh, so I'll give you a minute to go ahead and, and find John 16. Um, while you're turning, there are just a couple of announcements. Um, first off, I want to let you know about our uh, Flint mission trip coming up. The, uh, the sign-ups are done. The team is set. All the missionaries are preparing to go, both spiritually and physically, and raising funds. And so I wanted to let you know, I spoke with Jeff this last week, our mission team leader. Uh, he let me know that the financial need right now is about $2,000. That's what they lack, having all the money for all the missionaries to go. And so I want to bring that before you, the church, and just let you know about that need. Um, a ton of money has been raised already and paid, and so that's just the remainder of the balance to, to be able to send them off to Flint, Michigan during spring break. Some of you are planning on going or have family members going, uh, but others of you may feel prompted to help out in that need, and so I want to let you know specifically how that works. Um, so as Christians, we, we read the Bible. The Bible calls us as believers to um, generous and sacrificial giving, okay? And so um, that isn't so that our religious leaders can get wealthy or so that as a church we can buy all the latest toys and gadgets and just have all the fun in the world. Um, we're called to be generous and to give sacrificially to see God's kingdom expand to the ends of the earth. And so this is one of those opportunities. If you feel led to give to uh, the trip, I want you to know, first of all, be sure you mark it in an envelope and put Flint missionaries on there so it'll go to the right place. Um, but this isn't, um, this, what we're not asking you to do is to take your tithe and redirect it. Um, if we do that, then what happens is, um, so we, we, we send money to Flint and then we don't pay the light bills here. So this is how it works in terms of tithes and offerings. Tithes are what we use to support the ministry here. And then we take 10% of that no matter what and set it aside for the mission. And then God prompts our hearts uh, to generosity beyond that. And if that's you, uh, then I want to encourage you to, to give faithfully to that as God directs you. Um, but what we don't want to do is, is just redirect money. Um, we've done that in the past, have a big trip come up and we, we get, send all of our money to go and then all of a sudden, whoa, we're under budget here and we can't pay the light bill. So um, want to invite you to participate in that if God leads you to. Um, I think it's our, our, our responsibility and our privilege as a church to be able to send missionaries into Flint. Um, right around the corner, we'll be getting ready to do the same thing for the Philippines. Some of you are already signed up to go on that as well and raising funds for that. Um, so I wanted to let you know about that need. Um, also, I um, wanted to let you know that there's an update on our search for a kids coordinator, kids ministry coordinator. Um, some of you have been uh, praying alongside of us and asking about that. 
And just this last week, um, Cameron Glass, our uh, family discipleship minister, and I, we got to sit down with a candidate and, uh, and get to know her better and to go through her resume and to interview her. And we're going to move her along now in the process. This next week, she'll be coming to interview with our leadership team and elders on Tuesday night. And so I wanted to update you, but also invite you to be praying uh, for the candidate and for us as a team for discernment and, and a clarity on what God's will is. This is a very important position um, our kids' ministry is a very important ministry, and as the church grows, that ministry responsibility is, is growing as well. A lot of work setting up and getting prepared, and that's what this person would come in to do, uh, work with Cameron Glass to get everything set up and prepped and organized and ready to go. So um, we definitely want God's uh, will in this particular situation, so we ask you to pray with us um, for that. And, uh, and so next Sunday, very likely could be coming back to give you an update on that. So um, that's coming up this week. All right. Uh, we're going to start uh, just with a little bit of Old Testament background before we get to John 16. So hold your place there. Just going to run through a couple of things first to get us started. As we talk about the work that the Holy Spirit does, um, I'll say this on the front end. I don't think that there is a mis- more misunderstood person in the Godhead than the Holy Spirit or a mi- more misunderstood uh, perspective of God than what he reveals about himself through the Holy Spirit. And so across the spectrum of churches and believers, there are, there are a variety of different ways of viewing the Holy Spirit of God. So I'm going to kind of give us some bearings here as we get started. So if you could just picture a spectrum here of beliefs about the Holy Spirit. On one end is a hyper-conservative perspective on the Holy Spirit. On this end of the spectrum, we find cessationalism, which is the idea that the Holy Spirit of God moved miraculously in the New Testament among the apostles, but then he ceased to work that way whenever the apostles died off. And that's one, maybe a conservative view that would not deny the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, but today would not be looking for the miraculous giftings to manifest themselves in the life of believers. And that's one one end of the spectrum, maybe a hyper-conservative view looking at the Holy Spirit. So these folks in church aren't generally asking the Holy Spirit to come in and reveal himself in a miraculous way. On the far other end of the spectrum, maybe a more liberal view of the, the, of the Holy Spirit, on the Holy Spirit, a more charismatic view would be the idea that not only is the Holy Spirit still active today, working miraculously in the church and through his people, but if you have enough faith, he'll do whatever you want him to do. And so this this group of folks over here, the name it, claim it folks, you just have to believe, and then then the Holy Spirit of God is obligated then to kind of follow suit, almost like a genie in the bottle. You rub him the right way, and then God just grants your wishes, and and, and, and it sort of puts the Holy Spirit uh, in a perspective of being a puppet on a string, if you will. And he just, he works in our services however we want him to work, and, and we manipulate, and we obligate him to do what we want him to do. So you have kind of two Two ends of the spectrum. Both can be uh, dangerous and damaging to the character of God. On one hand, if you're, uh, if you're way over here um, and you're not looking for God's spirit to move, then, then the idea that if God removed his spirit from a particular church, you might not even notice it. Wouldn't that be sad? For God to remove himself from a church and, 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 and then not even notice it because they're not looking for the movement of the Holy Spirit. On the far end, though, you get... This idea, a very dangerous and damaging idea, that somehow God is obligated to obey us. And so therefore, he must do whatever we want. If we want it bad enough, he must do it. Both can be uh, damaging and and dangerous theologies. Now, just to kind of set the record straight for us, um, I know you well enough 
to know that we, as a church, we land all across that spectrum, okay? And so what we're doing today is not necessarily trying to pinpoint down where every person needs to land by any means, but what we want to do is we want to look at the non-negotiable truths about the Holy Spirit. The things that we can bank on are true about the Holy Spirit. And rather than getting into frivolous theological debates and, 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 and these conversations that aren't quite clear, we want to land firm as a church on what we can say is true. Without negotiation, right? Without trying to manipulate or maneuver the scriptures or massage them to say a certain thing, we want to bank on what is true. And our prayer is then from that foundation, you and I might land on different places of the spectrum, but we still have a unity of faith. And our unity isn't wavering because maybe we look at the Holy Spirit's role differently. So let's start in John 16. And, and actually, as you get ready to start there, just a little, let's clear up some misconceptions. Uh, when we tend to think about the work of the Holy Spirit, we tend to go directly to the New Testament, book of Acts, right? This is where we think and we expect to see the biggest movement of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And, uh, and nothing could be further from the truth. If you study the movement of the Holy Spirit through the Bible, you're going to find the Holy Spirit is equally or more so active in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, um, the Apostle Peter, a man full of the Holy Spirit, in 2 Peter 1 says this about our Old Testament. Here's what he says about the Old Testament. In verse 20 of chapter 1, 2 Peter, he says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, talking about the Old Testament, comes from someone's own interpretation. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke, talking about your Old Testament authors, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's huge. He just said every word in your Old Testament, though it came through the writing of a man, that man was carried along by the Holy Spirit. In more specific ways, we find lists of men and women who were filled and led by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. I'll give you a few examples. Um, Bezalel and the others with him were gifted, filled and gifted by the Holy Spirit to address the tabernacle dressings. To, to, to garnish the tabernacle, filled with the Holy Spirit to do that. Uh, in addition, King David was filled with the Holy Spirit in designing the actual temple. Uh, going just to, to a list of folks that you might be familiar with, uh, Joseph was filled with the Holy Spirit. Moses and the 70 elders who helped him were filled with the Holy Spirit. Joshua, Othniel, Jephthah, Samson, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Micah, Amasai, Azariah, Jehaziel and Zechariah. Good Old Testament biblical names. All men who were specifically filled with the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, in 1 Samuel 16, uh, Samuel comes to David and anoints him. Uh, chapter 16, 13, verse 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. You remember when David in Psalm 51 was crying out in confession and repentance, one of the things he asked God after he asked God to cleanse him, he said, what? Take not your Holy Spirit from me. The uh, prophet Joel, the Old Testament, looking forward to a day when God would pour out his spirit, not just on individuals specifically like he did in the Old Testament, but in the masses, among the masses. The prophet Joel said this, that when the spirit... Uh, 
excuse me, says, and it shall come to pass, this is Joel 2, starting in 28, and it shall come to pass afterward. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So unlike it's ha- the Old Testament where God pours out his spirit on specific people for specific tasks, it shall come to pass afterward, and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And so the people of Israel looked forward to a day where, like Moses and David and Joshua and Elijah, like these men were filled with the Holy Spirit and led, that all of God's people would be filled with the Holy Spirit and led and guided by him. Well, Jesus tells us in John 16 um, that when he leaves, he's sending the Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 1, we saw last week, as as Jesus prepares to ascend, he lets the disciples know, my Spirit's going to come. And here's how you'll know. He's going to come on you in power. And then Acts 2, this Holy Spirit falls on the believers and just rattles, not just the physical buildings, but all their expectations. And the church launches. So in John 16, this is where we're going to start this morning, looking more specifically at the work of the Holy Spirit according to God's Word. And Jesus is talking here, and he's telling us how to recognize the Holy Spirit by what he's going to be doing. So in John 16, starting in verse 13, Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Okay, so this idea that the, the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God is going to come as a guide, guiding us, guiding God's people into what is true. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to be a guide into truth, and he's going to be a speaker. He's going to speak to people so that we might hear the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus tells us the things that he's going to declare. Verse 14, he says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So just a basic understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit, he's a revealer. He's a revealer of the word of God. And he's going to speak intimately to God's people so that they might hear now, here's, here's, a, here's a caution for us. In a current church age where um, really the, the voice of the Holy Spirit um, gets attached to almost anything, right? Things that aren't God get called God. God called me to go do this. God go, called me to go do that. We need some bearings, right? We need to know what's the difference between God speaking to me and then me just coming up with something. Uh, I gave this example. Uh, I'll give it to you again. Some of you may remember. I think it was about 15 or so years ago. Um, it was a small news story, but it caught my attention. There was a group of people um, from California who, who believed they heard God tell them to drive to Florida in a little bitty car. I think there were like six people crammed into this little car, uh, or eight people in this little car. And they were driving from California to Florida. They, they said, God is telling us to do this. And, and somewhere along the way, they heard from God again. He told them to take off all their clothes. And so as they're coming through Texas, they got pulled over. And they were all naked in the car, right? And their, their reason was, well, God's spirit spoke to us and told us to do this. So, so how do we have bearings to know, was that God or was that just a dumb idea? 
Was that God or was that, was that my lunch talking? What's, what's the difference here? Well, what we just heard from Jesus is this, that everything the Holy Spirit says will be consistent with what Jesus says, and everything that Jesus says will be consistent with what the Father says. So that we can measure what we believe the Holy Spirit might be telling us against two things, God's character and his word. The Holy Spirit reveals the will of God in unification with God's character and the truth of the scriptures. Right, So that you can step back and go, was that God? Well, I don't know. Is there any examples in the Bible of you know, God calling a bunch of men and women to get naked and jump on one donkey and ride to Bethlehem? No, it's not consistent with his word. doesn't seem to be consistent with his character. Right, So you can kind of gauge what you believe God is telling you against the truth of his word. God calls you or you believe God's calling you to go to somebody where there's been an offense and you feel like God's telling you to go let them have it. They don't feel guilty enough for what they did. Is that consistent with God's character? Is that consistent with the truth of his scripture? Start flipping through. Matthew 18, right there, see? If somebody has offended you, you go to them. Oh, wait a second. And then you keep reading. You go, oh, maybe God is calling me to go to them. But instead of going to them to beat them up, maybe God's calling me to go in gentleness and humility with the purpose of reconciling. Because see, what often happens is we're discerning. I believe God's calling me to go do this. And then what happens? It gets mixed in with our fleshly feelings. It gets mixed in with our own bitterness and frustration. And then if we're not careful, we'll call it God and we'll just go do it. If we don't measure it against his word and we realize, you know what? God is calling me to go, but he's calling me to go a specific way with a specific purpose. Not to heap up shame and guilt, but to go and extend forgiveness. That's consistent with his character. Holy Spirit of God reveals, but he always reveals in consistency and unification with who God is and God's word. Now, 2 Corinthians 3 is going to lead us into an, another part of the work of the Holy Spirit. And to fully understand um, what we're going to read in 2 Corinthians 3, some background info might be helpful for you. The Bible describes our issue of not fully understanding and therefore believing God. The Bible describes it as a heart issue. And in Isaiah, uh, a couple different places, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah to explain the problem of the people. And it's our problem. And this is how it's described. We're described as being not able to see well and not able to hear well. And our hearts are calloused. And that's why we don't hear from God. That's why we don't see God's glory. And that's why we don't follow and obey. Because we're, we're blind, we're deaf, and we're hard of heart. And in Matthew 13, Jesus quotes Isaiah to explain that as a current issue. Now what's going to happen is, now we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is going to use this idea of, um, in the Old Testament, of the, when Moses, was, his face was veiled from the people versus when it was unveiled to describe that issue. And that there's a process of having the truth unveiled so that you can see it clearly. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. And this is what Paul says. When, but when one turns to the Lord, one person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The blindness is removed. The hardness is removed. 
Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We're going to sing that later today. Now, that's a, that's a misinterpreted verse of Scripture. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Freedom for what? Freedom to do whatever we want to do. Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. No rules, right? No processes, no procedures, no conformity. With the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Preacher, don't you dare tell me. Okay, it's not at all what it's talking about. What's the freedom here that's being expressed in this passage? It's a freedom to see. We're about to read some more. It's a freedom to behold the glory of God. We've been unveiled. Our blindness has turned to sight. Our, our deafness has turned to hearing, right? Our hearts have been uncallous, and now we can respond to God. And did you notice who it is that does that in us? It's where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. It's the Holy Spirit of God who stirs in us who opens our eyes to see and our hearts to believe the truth of the gospel. Now, I'm going to talk in a minute about how, how much I don't know about how, how that works. But when I listen to your testimonies and I even think about my own, I can't deny that God was working and leading me to himself. I didn't just cognitively come up one day and go, you know what? I think I'm going to try Christianity out for a while and just see how it goes. Like, I, I came, I, on some levels, kicking and screaming into Christianity, in my flesh. I had no interest as a junior in high school to become religious. I had no interest as a, you know, as a 16-year-old male single to, to, to become a, a Christ follower. It wasn't even on my radar. But I can't deny God working out scenarios and through people and, and drawing me and calling me. What was that? That was the Holy Spirit of God, I believe, stirring and opening and unveiling so that I could see and be drawn into the relationship that I have with Christ. The Holy Spirit leads sinners to salvation by opening their eyes to see, stirring their hearts to believe the truth of the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit working. And, and, and from your perspective, you, you, you say things like, man, I know God was working. I can't deny God was orchestrating and working. What is it? That's the Holy Spirit of God working in your life. Many of you are here today because the Holy Spirit drew you to come today. Now, let's talk more specifically as we, as we move forward. But before we do that, I want to read a few lines from an old hymn. Uh, there's an old hymn by uh, Daniel Whittle called, I Know Whom I Have Believed. And I love how he writes this out about the things he doesn't understand versus what he knows is true. If you, if you grew up in church, you may remember this old hymn. Uh, here's just a few lines. He says this, I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart, but I know whom I have believed in. The next verse says, I know not how the spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. But I know whom I have believed in. And so if you're here today and you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God is the one that drew you and unveiled to you and stirred in you and showed you what is true working inside you. We continue reading in 2 Corinthians 3. We see that even after we believe, the Holy Spirit is still working. It's not just his job to introduce us to God, to usher us into God's presence, but he continues to work in the life of the believer. In verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3, 
Paul says this, and we all, okay? So remember the Old Testament was a select few. God poured his spirit on to lead out his redemptive purposes. But remember, we're looking forward to a day where he pulls his spirit out on all, right? And so here's what Paul says. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Let's pause for just a second. What, what does that mean? That I'm being transformed into an image and you're being transformed into an image, but it's the same image. So I'm not trying to become a better me, right? Something else is happening. So you and I were created as image bearers of the most holy, most high God. It was our role here on earth among uh, living in community, procreating, uh, subduing the world. Our primary purpose was to reflect the glory of God. Okay, it's what we're, we're created to do, Genesis 1 and Two. And so now what we're reading in here is somehow we're being recreated. You and I both are being conformed to the same image. It's the image of Christ. So I'm not trying to become a better me. I'm trying to become more like him. You're not trying to become a better you. You're being transformed and conformed to be more like him. That's what he's trying to get at here. So there's a process as a Christian of, of walking out throughout my life of being conformed and transformed into something. This is what he says. So, and we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So not only did the Holy Spirit draw me, orchestrate, stir in me, and bring me to God, the Holy Spirit is still in me, working out this process, this lifelong process of being transformed. Um, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to spend time around um, a believer who's like in their 80s or 90s and still believes they're on earth here for a purpose. Um, my granny is one of those ladies, just loves Jesus more than I've ever known anybody to love Jesus. And her husband has passed away 10 years ago. And I talked to her on the phone today. I talked to her about her health and, and how things are going. All she wants to talk about is, I don't know, sweetheart, but God still has a purpose for me. He's still working on me. And I'm thinking, you're like... You're like 90. You're the most holy person I know. What could God still have to do with you? But yet, she knows. She's still in this transformation process. And as long as she's here on earth, she's in the process from one degree of glory to the next of being transformed by the Holy Spirit working in her. And that's the Holy Spirit in us, working this out, transforming us. There's something else that the Holy Spirit does when we turn and believe the gospel and this is going to come from Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll start in verse 13. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, I want you to think about this for yourself, okay? If you're not, I want you to understand this is what God is promising to you. Verse 13 says this. This is Ephesians 1. In him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, in our current modern-day context, we don't use the word sealed and guaranteed the same way it's being used here. When we think about uh, something being guaranteed, we're expecting whoever made a product to stand behind it. Right, And we want to know, how long are you going to guarantee that I'll be happy with your product? It's not the way it's being used here exactly. This is more of the idea of a deposit guaranteeing purchase. 
Say like a down payment or, you know what, I don't have all the money to make this purchase, but I'm, I'm leaving something of value behind. I'm leaving a deposit, a seal to guarantee that I'm coming back to purchase the whole thing. That's the kind of the concept that uh, is being drawn upon here. So, but here's what I want to I pull out. So God didn't make a chump change deposit in our lives to guarantee us, to guarantee that he was coming back for us. He left his spirit. Did you notice that? The Holy Spirit is the seal. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee that we're his, that we belong to him, that he's purchased us. And so here's something that that is, is true. If you're here today and you're in Christ, God's spirit lives in you. And if that's true, how can we sit idly by on the sidelines? How can we sit idly by just twiddling our thumbs, waiting Right? For some sense of purpose to come to us. God's saying, if you believe in me, my spirit's in you. And what, what my spirit is doing, I'm doing. You want me to tell you what I'm doing in you? So let me, let me turn our attention towards this idea of being filled. If you're taking notes, the Holy Spirit eternally seals and guarantees the inheritance of the saints. If you missed the one behind that, it's the word guides. The Holy Spirit guides believers through the lifelong journey of being transformed to the image of Jesus. It's the big word we use, sanctification. That's what that means. All right. So let's talk some more about what the Holy Spirit's doing in us. In uh, John chapter 3, Jesus has a really interesting conversation with Nicodemus. And this is the conversation where the verse John 3.16 comes from. Where the declaration is made, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, that's part of a conversation that's being had between Jesus and Nicodemus. And here's what the conversation is about in context. How does a man get into the kingdom of heaven? And so Jesus responds to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so that kind of baffles. Nicodemus is a pretty smart guy. It kind of baffles him. And so he has questions. How can a man be born again? That doesn't make sense to me. We'll pick this up in verse 3. So Jesus answers him, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus, pretty smart guy, says to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so Jesus answers him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, natural birth, and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So what Jesus is talking about is a new birth here, a rebirth here, a, the idea of being born again, being reborn again. And so he declares that this rebirth, this being reborn again, would be a rebirth of the Holy Spirit. Now, in, uh, in Titus 3, um, the Apostle Paul's writing to a young pastor giving him some counsel on how to, how to guide the church and, and talking him through some theology. And, uh, and I think it shed some light on this idea. What does it mean to be born again? That God's spirit somehow causes us to be born again. So in Titus 3, I'm going to start in verse 4. We read these words. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. 
Who's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. Look at verse 6. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We're going to talk about being, having the Spirit poured out on us and being filled with the Holy Spirit in just a minute. But I want to stop at this word regeneration for a minute. Um, I don't think I ever used that word outside of talking about the Christian faith. I don't know, maybe you have, but I don't think I've ever even heard anybody use it. So I had to spend some time really studying this week, looking at original language. What, what are we looking at here? And really, it's two words um, being put together here to get this word regeneration. This is what the Holy Spirit's doing in us. The first Greek word is palin. It means again, to do again or to do over. And the second part of that word is genesia, which is like genesis, create. Okay, So you put them together and you get this idea of recreating. That's the word regeneration here. There's a recreation that takes place in the life and the heart of the believer. Um, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's what Jesus was getting at, being born again. He's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Now, the thing about this idea of recreation is not just that you're recreated, but that you're recreated to the, to the original or pr- to a pristine state. Perfect. That's the work the Holy Spirit of God is doing in you if you believe. He's recreating you to your original intended purpose. And I look at that, and I've been a believer for about two decades. i got a lot of work to, to go. I don't feel recreated on the outside. So what is this saying to me? Remember last week, we were looking at the work of Christ, how he lived perfectly here on earth, and his gift to us is his righteousness. And he says, you're right. You're right. You're not there yet. Here, here's my righteousness. This is the way I'm going to see you. This is your pristine, original, created state, perfectly righteous. What God declared in Genesis 1 is very good. That's the way I'm going to see you. And while you're alive here on earth, we're going to work out this process of being transformed into that image. The Holy Spirit gives new life to believers by cleansing the human heart of sin. I know we talk about forgiveness a lot here in the church, and it's a really important teaching in the Bible. But oftentimes, whenever the Bible describes our personal forgiveness from God, it's expressed in the idea of cleansing. So it's more than God just turning his head and pretending like we didn't mess up. It's God actually reaching into the depths of who we are and cleaning us, washing away, not just the sin, but the shame and the guilt and the punishment and all those things that we deserve, washing, cleansing who we are on the inside. The Holy Spirit gives new life to believers by cleansing the human heart of sin, removing shame and guilt, and restoring the human heart to perfect righteousness. The Holy Spirit of God's doing that in you. If you're in Christ, there's nobody who's in Christ who he's not doing that inside of them. He is the one regenerating us. Now, let's talk for a minute about the Holy Spirit filling us, okay? Um, there's plenty of debate out there about how this works. We read the, old, the, the New Testament, we read Acts, and the Holy Spirit comes and consumes and fills the apostles. They teach with authority, believers respond are saved, are baptized, and filled with the Spirit. Then we see some later who are being filled either again or for the first time after salvation. So we we get these different ideas on the filling of the Holy Spirit. Are we completely filled at the point of salvation? Or is there a refilling or a a complete filling to be had at some point along the journey? And you're going to find people in the spectrum who kind of see it either way. 
So here's, here's what we're not interested in. We're not really interested in answering the debate. We can have a unity of faith with both people. But let's look at what the Bible clearly declares happens when we're filled with the Spirit. So here's some things that we can, we can take from the Scriptures. Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So... What I just read is that God fills me, his Holy Spirit fills me with joy and peace and hope. Ever find myself in the midst of despair and I latch on to a hope. What I'm latching on to is the Holy Spirit working in me. I find myself just in the middle of a really hard situation. All of a sudden, there's this joy kindled up that I can't explain. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit of God working in me. How about peace? I find myself amidst turmoil or suffering or in a situation that just, I mean, just is hard. But then I'm all of a sudden overwhelmed with peace that I can't explain. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit of God filling you with joy, with hope, with peace. Romans 5.5 says this, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when I feel loved by God, and I know I'm loved by God, that's not just me coming up with that own, my own thoughts. That's the Holy Spirit of God wrapping his arms around me, reminding me that I'm loved. Galatians 5 gives us a, a longer list of things um, that God is filling us with as his Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Galatians 5, says, But the fruit of the Spirit, here's the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what God's filling you with. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. Holy Spirit is working in me to produce self-control. When I'm tempted, when I'm drawn to the wrong thing, I'm drawn to evil, I'm drawn to sin, I'm drawn to act like I, the person I used to be, I have God's Spirit living inside of me, slowing me down, drawing me back working inside of me, guiding me to who I actually am. Now, there's a second part of the feeling that that, that manifests itself in spiritual giftings, okay? And so, depending on what your church background is, if you have one at all, you're going to land in different places on spiritual gifts. Like I said, there's a far end that would say that the the supernatural spiritual gifts are gone with the apostles. That's cessationalism, this idea that um, there's still a Holy Spirit alive in us, but not gifting us miraculously. There's another end of the spectrum um, that everything that happens is the Holy Spirit and spiritual giftings. And uh, and so we're not interested in, in, in camping out on either end of that spectrum, but truly looking at the Word of God and what He says about His gifts in us as believers. Um, several places Paul teaches on spiritual gifts. Um, Ephesians 4, Romans 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is probably the most explicit and helpful um, where Paul talks about our spiritual giftings. So we'll go to 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. This is a really important part of understanding your spiritual gifts. So Paul begins here. He says, now there are a variety of gifts. And in a minute, he's going to list a bunch of them. Teaching, knowledge, healing, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, just a whole list of gifts. But he starts by saying there's a whole variety of gifts. But the most important thing that you need to hear is this. There are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. So here's how that works out. If I'm 
operating and I believe in my spiritual gifting and, I'm, and I, I believe this is what God's working in me to do through my gifting and God's working in you through your gifting to do something. In order for both of us to be hearing God, it's the same thing, right? He's not doing two different things. He's calling us together. Paul wants us to remember, it's one spirit directing the whole church. And so he's gonna use the human body as a metaphor to help us understand how this works. You got hands and feet and eyes and ears, all doing different things, right? But God help us if not the same thing, right? So if my, if my right side of my body starts to walk that way and the left side of my body starts to walk that way, we got trouble. I'm gonna end up right on the floor. So while there's different parts to the body, different functions for different parts of the body, the human body essentially needs to be doing one thing together, This idea of working in harmony together, bringing our gifts together for one common purpose. And so here's what he says. Verse 5, there are a variety of service, ways to serve, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Look at verse 7. Some of you, this may be the very first time you've ever heard this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, what he's talking about here is spiritual gifts. To to how many? To just specific men and women? No. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Here's what God just said to you. If you are a believer, his Holy Spirit has imparted to you a gift. And so, this idea that I'm sitting on the sidelines just waiting on God to say, hey, I need you, Right is not in line with God's character or his word. And, and one of the things that um, I want to encourage you with, we, we talked about this at the all-members meeting um, uh, last Tuesday, two Tuesdays ago. Um, right now, at Solid Rock Church, if you take all the attendees who show up on a Sunday morning and then you take all of our volunteers and put them against each other, over half of our attendees serve somewhere. That, that, that is so encouraging. Compared to other church experiences I've had, that's a staggering number in the right direction. Saying that by and large, we are a people here, right, who believe God has given us a gift to be used in serving the church and advancing the kingdom. So encouraging. But it doesn't leave any room, right, to sit on our thumbs on the sideline thinking that somehow God's spirit moves and works and empowers, but only the people who've been to the seminary or the people who are on staff or you know, the, the elders and their wives or these, the super religious. Like, that's not in line with what God's word just said. God's word just said that if you are a Christian, his spirit lives in you and he has gifted you to serve. Period. And some of you may be hearing that for the first time. And why every time somebody gets up and talks about this we're doing or that we're doing or this trip or this opportunity, something stirs inside of you. I need to get involved. But I'm not really sure where or how or why. Some of you probably have never even had that conversation about spiritual gifts. So you have no bearings. You have no idea. How do I know what my spiritual gift is? Let me give you some help here. Um, First of all, if that's you and you want to get the conversation started, here's some things you could do. Um, On our website, you can go to our resources tab, and there's a spiritual gift analysis and, uh, and so this will allow you to begin to kind of work through some of the thoughts. And you'll answer questions. It'll tally up the score. You guys know how it works. And then in the end, it tries, it'll kind of reveal to you, at least according to your perspective, where you think your gifts are. It's subjective, right? Oftentimes, it's what we think about ourselves. 
So don't stop there. First of all, get with somebody who knows you well, a spouse, a friend, who will be honest with you and say, now here's how I answer the questions. Is that, is that truly, is the, are these things true of me? Because what you might find is things that you didn't think you were all that good at, you actually are. Okay? So you do that. Another thing that you could do is to get with a spiritual leader, somebody that you consider a spiritual leader. A life group leader, an elder, a leader in the church, a staff member, and say, hey, can we have coffee? Can I go over with you my spiritual gift analysis just to get your feedback as well? Another thing that you could do is uh, that's you know, the, the connect cards. That's what they're there for. Write down on there, hey, I want to talk to somebody about my spiritual gifts. I want somebody to sit down with me and, and work through this with me so we can begin the process of discerning what our gifts are. We don't know what necessarily gifts you have or how many you have, but what do we know is true? If you're in Christ, you have a spiritual gift. To each was given. But it doesn't stop there. You were given a gift not for your sake, but for the edification and the unification of the church. The Holy Spirit imparts spiritual gifts to believers to serve and to edify the church. So if you ever catch me um, edifying myself with spiritual giftings, okay, that's not a proper use of how I've been gifted. That's me doing my own thing. If I'm truly going to engage in what the Holy Spirit is doing, any gifts that he's given me, I'm going to be giving them back to the church, giving them away that he would use them to grow us as a church. And the same should be true of each of us. Now, I wanna, we're going to land uh, here uh, with the mission that God has called us to, okay? And again, I think this is a very misunderstood component of the Christian faith, that somehow God has selected a few people to be the elite special team of missionaries. These are the ones called to be involved in the ministry, to go to seminary, to go to Africa and live in a hut, to go to the Philippines. And, uh, and he hasn't called me to get engaged in the mission on that level. Okay? I think that's a misconception um, when we look at the truth of Scripture. I want to point out a couple things here. I'm going to go back to where we started. Um, in, in John 15, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And he tells us what the Holy Spirit's going to be doing not just in us, but through us. So in John 15, starting in verse 26, Jesus calls him the helper. He says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, by the way, so we know who he's talking about. When he comes, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That's how you'll know who he is. Jesus is saying, he'll point to me. He'll point you to me. But then look at what he says in verse 27. And you also... So those who come to Christ, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now he's talking specifically to the disciples at this point. But then we get to the end of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew in 28, where he gives this mission of the church. He just lays it out there. Church, here's your job. What does he say? Starting in verse 19, he says, Go therefore, this is your role, church, and make disciples of the nations. It's your job. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And that comes with a promise. Jesus is about to ascend back to the right hand of the Father. What does he mean he will be with us? He's getting ready to send his Spirit. And his Holy Spirit in us is the one who's with us as we live out this mission. 
Now, if we still aren't fully convinced that every believer is supposed to be part of this mission, look at Acts 1.8. This is the beginning of the church, and uh, this is what Jesus says about being filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's what I want, right? Power. I want to feel the power of God, and the Holy Spirit comes upon me. And here's, here's the indicative of that. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit empowers believers to live for the mission of Jesus to make disciples of the nations. There isn't a person in Christ who isn't empowered and called to this mission. Starting where? Right here in our own community. Right here in our own families, in our own neighborhoods, at your job. Whatever your community is, first and foremost, then what? Our city, our state, our nation. But is that where we stop? To the ends of the earth. This is why we organize our mission efforts that way. Local, national, international. Because we know, we know this is what God's calling us to do. Right? We know it. And some of you right now, God is probably encouraging you, hey, I've got relationships right now in your life, and I'm calling you to go to them. I'm empowering you to go to them. Others of you have signed up for Flint. Listen, that's, it's not just a trip. This is the mission you're engaging in. You're going to pack your bags, get on a plane, land somewhere in Michigan. Weather's probably not going to be nice. It's going to be nasty and cold. You're, you're gonna, your feet are going to hit the ground on this mission. Some, some are headed to the Philippines. You're already saving money and getting your stuff together, and your tents and your backpack and all those kinds of things, and, and you're getting ready to go. We're not going on a camping trip. Trust me, there are, I've been. There are better places to go camping. I'll, I'll give you some recommendations if you just want to go camping. It's a mission. Right? From the moment we, we, we turn towards DFW Airport and start that way, we're engaged in this mission. At Solid Rock, we say this, we're called to live the mission of Jesus in our everyday lives. Every believer. And the Holy Spirit of God is in you, empowering you to this mission. There's no room for Christians to sit on the sidelines. It baffles me. You know what I love, though? I love it when you say things like, I feel like God's asking me to get involved. You know what I immediately think? Holy Spirit's working in you. I feel like I need to be serving somewhere. I feel like I need to be getting involved with what the church is doing. And you don't necessarily have the words to articulate what God's doing. But I'm looking at that and going, that's what he said he was going to do. His Holy Spirit's working in you. Compelling you, drawing you, empowering you, gifting you. My hope as a church, um, Paul said this to young Timothy. Um, he described his spiritual gifting this way. Um, he, he told Timothy not to neglect the gifts that had been imparted to him. And he talked about how the elders of the church fan those gifts into flame. This process of the spiritually mature working with brand new believers like a fire, just fanning those gifts into flame, watching them grow and become stronger and healthier as you grow in Christ. Now, we're going to stop there. Um, we're going to end with a statement from our statement of faith. And, uh, and this is what we would say is true. Okay, Plenty of room for fringe conversations, debatable theologies, the filling of the Holy Spirit. But these are the things that we don't negotiate on according to God's word. We believe that the Holy Spirit being fully God and proceeding from the Father is the presence of God in spirit form. 
He reveals the will of God in unification with God's character and the truth of the scriptures. He leads sinners to salvation by opening their eyes to see and stirring their hearts to believe the truth of the gospel. For those who believe, he is the indwelling presence of God. He guides through the lifelong journey of sanctification. He eternally seals and guarantees the inheritance of the saints. He equips and empowers believers for Christ-like living, for the edification and the unification of the church, and for living the mission of Jesus to make disciples of the nations. This is what we, we can say we know is true. This is where we have our unity of faith in the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to pray for us as the worship team comes back up, and I'll ask our prayer partners to be available. And, and so probably two different camps of folks here this morning, okay? Just be honest. Maybe some of you here today um, realize, I'm not a Christian. All this time, I've been thinking that being a Christian was to to join a religion and to sign my name on a piece of paper and to be part of the club and to wear a certain set of clothing and to have a certain lingo. And today you realize that that's not at all what it means to be in Christ. What God has said, if you want to be in Christ, is this, that you believe the gospel. And, and, and maybe even you can kind of see a, a series of events. And you didn't know how, what was happening, but today you realize the Holy Spirit's been working on you, drawing you and showing you things that are true, and he's been stirring in your hearts. So today would be the day that you would come to Christ and believe. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute that you would do that. Um, seated where you're at is fine. Just conversation between you and God. I believe, and I want to be in a relationship with you, God. Um, our prayer partners will be down here and at the back, and they're always honored to talk with you and pray with you about making this decision. Here's what I ask of you, though. If that's a decision you make today, would you let somebody know? Somebody who you know is a Christian who would be excited for you, just let them know, hey, today I became a Christian. And the second camp of people here today is where I fall in, um, a group of us who oftentimes take for granted the work of the Holy Spirit. And for different reasons, some are fearful, some are, don't have the knowledge, others just not really sure how the Holy Spirit works. Hey, I'm with you. But maybe today will be a day of, of renewal for you, a rekindling for you, a, of, of recognizing what is true and acknowledging that God's spirit is living in you. And that means that his gifting is in you. That means that he's empowering you to be on, on the mission that we're on. And so today will be a day of just coming to God once again and saying, God, I, I'm so sorry for neglecting the Holy Spirit living in me. I'm sorry for trying to ignore I want to I be a part of what you're doing. And maybe you would bring that before God today. I'm going to pray for us, and the band's going to lead us in a song or two. And, and I'm going to ask God's Holy Spirit, don't be scared, to move among us, to stir in us and speak to us and guide us and prompt us on how to respond. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that you send your Holy Spirit to us. And as Jesus said, though he is a lot of times like the wind. We can't see where he comes from or where he's going. God, we do know what is true. Your Holy Spirit comes to us to call us and beckon us and invite us into this beautiful lifelong relationship that leads into eternity with you. God, today I pray, I pray for the person who doesn't know you today, that today would be the day of sweet surrender. The day that they would come in faith and say, you know what, I can't deny that God's been working on my heart. And so today I want to I believe. I want to become a Christian. And uh, God, I pray for, for those.
those of us who oftentimes live in resistance to what you're doing in our lives. We, we live in neglect. We live in complacency. We, we don't expect you to work in us. God, today would be a day of just repentance for us that we would say, you know, God, we've been believing a lie. We see today that you're, you are working in us. And so today would be a day of sweet surrender on that part to say, God, use me. Use me as you will. Lead me as you, as you will. Guide me as you will. I want to I follow you in the prompting of your Holy Spirit in my life. So God, we pray these things and so much more in the powerful name of Jesus. Come move among us now and lead us to respond.